Diving has never really bothered me. I see it as part of the game, and I respect the different cultures can view diving very differently. I can actually appreciate a well-executed dive. Diving is a skill, but all dives are not created equally. There are good dives and bad dives. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking, ooh, diving in the beautiful game. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll have our World Cup update segment and so much more. But as always, joining me is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you? I am good. Uh, clean shaven today. Both Warren Barton and my mother, very critical of me last week for having a... They don't like the scruff. No, no. And speaking of Warren Barton, happy birthday. Happy birthday to our, our friend and colleague, Warren Barton. He is 73 years old today. Um, you are wearing what today, for the people that can't see you? FC St. Pauli. This was a gift from Ian Joy, who played for that club uh, a couple years ago. He gave this to me, and I'm wearing it proudly. Ian Joy, one of my favorite people in the world, and so... How many clubs did Ian Joy play for? It's got to be up there, right? I know he had a cup of coffee at Hamburg, St. Pauli, oh uh, MLS was Rouse Salt Lake, right? So, are you involved in this uh, this basketball thing that's happening right now that everybody's losing their mind over? Well, I'm not in a bracket, but I'm involved in, in as much as my alma mater is uh, you competing went to school? in the tournament. Where'd you go to school? Uh, University of Michigan. Ah, the Wolverines of Michigan. I know them well. We are off to the Sweet 16, and we'll be playing at the Staples Center on Thursday. I thought we'd be playing Rob Stone's beloved UNC Tar Heels, but they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. So there'll be an empty seat at Staples next to me that I had reserved for Mr. Stone, but uh, we're facing Texas But you do not do a bracket, though. No. I heard that everybody's bracket was busted, as they say. See, I've been listening to the radio. I've been been paying attention. All right, enough about the basketball. Let's get to the uh, much more important things for our show today. You ready? Yep. All right, let's light this candle. First up, as always, Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, as you heard, it is my State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of soccer in the United States. Last week, Arsenal and England striker Danny Welbeck went down in the box versus AC Milan, and he was awarded a penalty. It was a soft penalty with barely any contact, and so inevitably, the player was accused of diving and labeled a cheater. Now, diving is seen by many, including many in the U.S., as the scourge of the modern game. The act is condemned and the actors involved are deemed worthy of a special level of scorn. But there are no saints in the game, only sinners. Players will always look to gain an advantage. They choose to violate the laws of the game based on a risk versus reward analysis. But if diving is cheating, then it's all cheating. Like a professional foul that stops a promising attack, or a studs up tackle, or a shirt tug on a set piece. Diving has never really bothered me. I see it as part of the game, and I respect the different cultures can view diving very differently. I can actually appreciate a well-executed dive. Diving is a skill, but all dives are not created equally. There are good dives and bad dives. Now, some will get on their high horse and question my morality. But make no mistake, the referees, and now the video assistant referees, are there to punish offenders, and I want them to do so. I just think it's hypocritical to call someone a cheater for diving when the label can apply equally to so many others. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been my State of the Union. All right, Mossy, diving. Thoughts? 
Well, I agree with you, first off. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and I think we are reaching a bit of a tipping point. Mauricio Pochettino came out recently and said exactly what you just said, that diving is part of the game. It's not that big a deal. Pep's had some interesting things to say, which we'll get to in a minute. But 10 years ago, the notion of a top six manager in England coming out pro-diving was preposterous. I mean, it was this, not only this black and white issue where diving is clearly wrong, but it was the worst thing ever that was ruining the game. And I think the introduction of managers like Pep and Pochettino, who have a different perspective and whose words carry a lot of weight, has at least introduced some nuance into this debate, which I think is healthy. But my question would be, even if you come from a culture where diving is not taboo, mm -hmm. if you choose to coach and play in England, do you have to, to some degree, adapt and respect their culture? I think you have to respect it and understand the historic uh, view that they have of diving uh, and how they, they parse it out and separate it from other things that I mentioned in, in my State of the Union that for me are equally, if you're going to call someone a, cheat, someone a cheater, then they're, they're all cheating in terms of they're doing. That's not how a lot of traditional English look at the game. And it's not just English. It, 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 it occurs here in the United States and not just for soccer. I think in general, and I know I'm generaliz uh, generalizing here and I know I'm stereotyping to a certain extent. But in general, we ha we are closer maybe to the English mentality as a nation than we are uh, to to other uh, to other countries and to other and to other cultures. Now, with our incredible diversity over here, that's that's not necessarily holding true going forward. But in general, with the way that we look at sports, we we look at someone who would dive and would therefore trick the referee into in order to gain an advantage as much more of a cheater than someone who breaks the law or breaks the rules and goes stubs up or holds a shirt or something like that. So I, uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is changing, as you said, but I don't think that a, that a manager going to England necessarily has to, be, to, to change their views. And I think, as you mentioned, it's a lot easier now with so many different managers, with so many different players. Inevitably, you're going to have, with that influx of international talent on and off the field, you're going to have a change in culture and a change in the way that they think about things. Now, Pep's point, he hasn't gone as far as Pochettino and said diving's okay, but he just said the bigger concern in England should be protecting the players, that they have their priorities wrong. And that's where I come down on this whole thing. I was in Manchester in December with my dad. We went to a city Tottenham game at the Etihad, and right in front of me, Dele Alli had this awful tackle on Kevin De Bruyne that could have seriously injured him, and nobody made a big deal of it. And then I see the criticism Dele Alli got for these other diving incidents, like the one against Liverpool, and the reaction was so disproportionate, which is crazy to me. You want to create these panels and suspend Dele Alli three games for diving fine, but then he should have been suspended five games for what he did to Kevin De Bruyne. A dirty tackle where you could break a guy's leg and wreck his career has to be put on a higher plane than diving, and in England it's not. They have this macho thing where a bad tackle is part of the game, and diving is the worst crime against humanity, and they need to wise up with that because right now the money's so good everybody's flocking there, but you don't want flair players to think twice about going to England because they don't feel like they're going to be protected. You don't want that, you don't want that to even be a consideration. But isn't, isn't, it a, isn't it much more of a sense of honor in the way that they, that, not they, because I, I've been there at times, and I can, I can completely understand at, at times, if you're in the stands and you see a player go, go, to, go to ground, go down, embellish, and, and embellishing and diving may be two different things, but let's just put them all together, where you're trying to gain an advantage by doing something that in the normal, in normal circumstances you, you wouldn't necessarily do. I can understand how that can be incredibly frustrating for somebody in the stands. And I think that they come at it from much, much more uh, of this, this noble pursuit. And once again, this, this morality in that if you are tackling somebody, you are doing it in front of everybody. Everybody can see it. And I think 
they look at diving much more as this sleight of hand type of thing where you are trying to get away with something in a sinister and secret way as opposed to being upfront about the way you're tackling. Now, you, you played in many USA-Mexico mm-hmm. games, so you were uh, had many of your opponents diving, obviously. And how, how much of that anger you as a defender when you when you leaned in and you know you got the ball, you didn't touch the strike at all, and he goes down and gets the call, did that infuriate you in the moment as a defender? How well, do you... I, I think this is where it's important, and this is one of the, the knocks for a long time on especially English teams is that they don't travel well. And that continental style of play or international style of play, they don't adjust and adapt. And I learned very, very quickly, and maybe it's because my first professional experience was international. I learned very, very quickly that the way I may think about the game is is all fine and well, but it's not, they're not going to adjust for me. And so I had to adjust. And so for me, it was, it was buyer beware. I knew going in, and if I didn't, it's disingenuous and naive and delusional. I knew going in that this was a possibility. And so I approached every situation with the understanding that if I gave them the opportunity to dive, to embellish, they would take it. And it's not on them. It's on me. And so I defended differently with with that knowledge. And that's where this naive type of defending, both individually and collectively from some teams, drives me nuts. It's, it's not... It's not good enough to say, well, in my league or in my country or in my culture, we, we, we would never do that. Sorry, you're going to lose the game and you're not going to go on. So you have to adjust uh, when the rest of the world is playing in a different way and a different style when it comes to the international game. And I learned that early on. And it should be noted, the biggest divers slash embellishers in the game are defenders. How many times have you seen when a defender is pinned in his own, uh, near his own box and the striker just like breathes on him and he'll throw himself on the ground and he'll almost always get that call. And we don't get as mad because a foul there doesn't feel as consequential as a penalty or something, but it's still nonetheless uh, embellishing to get a call. But the other thing is, and this goes back to, to refereeing, because one thing that drives me nuts is when a player plays through a tackle and the referee doesn't call anything. Because whether the player falls down or not, it shouldn't matter, except it does. And that is why players go down. How many times have you been watching a game or in the stands, and whether you say it out loud or not, you go, go down, go down, go down, go down. Because you know that by doing that, it increases the chances that that penalty is going to get called. You know in the stands, and guess what? The player on the field knows, and the coach knows too, because I guarantee there's some young players that are, that are out there that'll get in a situation, and the coach is watching going, oh, please, please just go down. Get in the box, and, and, and the player doesn't go down, maybe stumbles a li- little bit. The referee doesn't call it, and why doesn't he or she call it? Because the player didn't fall down. That shouldn't be, but that is the case, and that is why players often go go down, because they know if they don't, they are not going to get the call. I would love, on a consistent basis, to find a referee where he or she said, I don't care if you go down or not. Either it's a foul or it's not a foul, regardless if you go down. And I would love to see time and time again that person say, boom, penalty. But I didn't go down. No, you still you, you still fouled. It's a penalty right to the spot. That would be wonderful, but it's really, really hard sometimes for referees to do that. Moving on, it's time for, oh yeah. Mossy Makes the Case. Yes, you heard it. It's time for Mossy Makes the Case. David, what do you have for us this week? My case this week is that Jose Mourinho is no longer special and his ego can't handle it. Ooh, great tease. I love it. 
Now, United 2-0 winners over Brighton at the weekend. They're off to the FA Cup semis, but last week eliminated by Sevilla in the Champions League round of 16. Mourinho's had a lot to say the last few days. We can get into the specifics of it, but the larger point is he's never been this defensive, and it got me thinking about his career and the fact that you can draw a line after that Champions League title with Inter in 2010. It really is a before and after in his career. His first full season with Porto was 02-03, and that treble-winning season with Inter was 09-010. And so over those eight seasons, he won trophies at an absurd clip. It was six league titles, two Champions League crowns, historic achievements. Chelsea hadn't won the league in 50 years. Inter hadn't won the European Cup in 45 years. So nobody at those clubs was going to complain about style of play. And he could drown out all the other noise by just pointing at the scoreboard. He was the best manager. He knew it. And he was able to look down on everybody else. But then summer of 2010, he left Inter to go to Real Madrid. And in the eight seasons since, which is Real Madrid, Chelsea the second time around, and Manchester United, he's won two league titles and zero Champions League crowns. Now, he's still a good manager, His record over those eight seasons is one that most managers would take, but it's not like blow you away great anymore. And when you're a guy that's built completely on results and your results aren't that great over a long enough period of time, people are going to lose some of that reverence they had for you. And that's what's driving him crazy right now, that even in England, a country that used to worship him, he's not that worship anymore. So he's lashing out. And that's to me is what this whole thing was all about. I agree with you in terms of the results. And we talked a little bit last week about if that he's doing this or not doing it, I guess, at a time when Pep in the same city is doing it and not just doing it in terms of getting results, but doing it in a way that 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 is romantic, uh, that is a style of play that at least the masses believe is beautiful. That he's doing it, that that hurts for him. I still think that he is special. If, if for nothing else, then... Even that press conference was special and was unique. And he is probably, the, no, he is the only person that would do that, can get away with it, and can perform like that to where everybody just goes nuts. Now, is, you, you, you think that this is the most defensive that you have seen him? Yes. I mean, he has always defended himself, but he's been, uh, you're right in that he has at times defended himself when it has worked, when, when things have been going well. Now, I believe that Manchester United is better since he took over, okay? I believe that they are heading in a positive direction. The problem is, is that until it gets back to that, that point, uh, a, a Sir Alex type of level, there's always going to be problems. And when you go out, and when you go out, not just losing, but in the way that he lost, he's going he's gonna to come in for criticism. Do you think that he's not special anymore because simply of the results? And do you think that the results are not coming because the game has passed him by and that he can't function in a 2018 version of the I game? I think he's struggling a little bit in this era of the super club, where if you are one of those clubs that's fortunate enough to have the resources, the expectations of the fans are even higher now. Uh, Manchester Center fans look around at what some of these other big clubs are doing and how dominant they are. And as you mentioned, Mourinho brings nothing extra to the table in terms of attractive football and style of play. So the results have to be especially good. And they haven't been. They've been solid. I agree with you. They're heading in the right direction. He's still a very good manager, but he's now just one of many very good managers in the game. And his ego can't handle that. He wants to be the best. He wants to be viewed as the best. I was thinking about this. Uh, If you had to rank the manager's of the big six in England in terms of approval rating they have amongst the fan base of their clubs. To me, he checks in at best at fourth. 
Pep, to me, has a 100% approval rating right, with Man so City Pep fans. So Pep is the, the elite. Yeah. Then what? Pochettino and Klopp are pretty close to 100, too. You talk okay. to fans of those clubs, and they love those guys. It's hard to find a fan of those clubs that doesn't 100% approve of the job those guys are doing. And so Wenger's clearly last right sure. now. And so Mourinho is kind of battling with Conti for fourth, fifth. So it's pretty polarizing amongst Manchester United fans I talk to. So I think he senses that. He could tell that even in his own city, United fans are looking kind of wistfully at the guy across town and the job he's doing in the way that team plays and like boy it'd be nice to have pep as our manager and it's driving him nuts but it's it's not going to change i mean he cannot he cannot change and become pep Pep-ish, I guess it would be. He, he is what he is. We know what he is. Anybody that says that this is a surprise or that they're angry that this has happened is 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 naive and doesn't understand that this is what you get when you hire uh, Jose Mourinho. So how does this how does this ultimately end? You think he stays? I mean, he signed a new contract. Even in his press conference, he said they're all on the same page and they're heading in the right direction with ownership. Yeah, I think he needs to win something big, a Premier League title, Champions League title in the next couple of years. Otherwise, he's going to wear out his welcome there too and have to go somewhere else. I mean, one of the most pathetic sights to me was him running around after that Europa League final and holding up three fingers as if United won a treble. That was the Community Shield, the League Cup, and a Europa League that fell on his lap. They didn't beat anybody to win that trophy. And now he's talking up Sevilla like they're around Madrid. Listen, I'm a big La Liga guy. I have a lot of admiration for Sevilla as a club, but they are not that good this season. Like I told you last week, right after that first leg nil-nil, Atletico Madrid went in there and scored five goals on them. And to say there's all these Sevilla players that would get into the United team, I don't see it. So he, he's losing the plot a little bit here. Mourinho is saying some crazy things. So they, to the answer of where this goes, either he wins something big the next couple of years and shuts everybody up, or he's only going to get worse and he's going to drive everybody crazy to the point where in a couple of years, United might say, you know what, let's go in a different direction. Well, I think we can agree that whether he's special or not, from a media standpoint, a content standpoint, he is the gift that keeps on giving. So as far as I'm concerned, I want Jose Mourinho involved in the game. I want him spouting off as much as possible because it is gold when it comes to the, the job that we have to do. So thank you, Jose. Keep it up. All right. It's that time again. Ask Alexi. Yes, you heard it right. It is time for Ask Alexi when we answer the questions that you have sent in on all the different platforms out there, Twitter and Facebook and everything else, about what you want to know. Mossy, what do the people want to know? All right, first up, at Mostly Mad wants to know, what happened to Bobby Wood? What advice would you give Bobby to pull out of his funk? Oh, so despite right. his struggles for Hamburg, uh, he was named in the squad for the U.S.'s upcoming friendly against Paraguay. We'll get into that for a second. I want your thoughts on the roster. But yeah, as far as Hamburg, listen, they're going to get relegated, and which is a big deal, by the way. They're the Bundesliga's only ever present club, so they're going to get relegated for the first time. So he's going to have a decision That's to make. That's on Bobby Wood. No, uh, no. There's very much a Josie Altidore, Sunderland, Hull City vibe here where he could have done better, but boy, the team is awful around him. And so I don't think he's shown enough for another Bundesliga club to want to pick him up, unfortunately. So he's going to have a decision to make. Does he drop back down to the second division with Hamburg or try to go somewhere else? So his future is, in, is going to be in a bit of flux here in a couple of months. But I mean, what, you know, listen, we, we have this debate all the time about Americans going to Europe versus staying in MLS. That's a case that, that's all of a sudden gone horribly wrong here. What, Look, do you, think, what do you make of it? I think Bobby Wood has MLS written all over. Uh, I think people will jump at the opportunity. They will pay him. And I think he will do well because, as you mentioned, he's playing for a crap team. And when you are a striker, and especially the type that he is that feeds off of opportunities and momentum and forward type of thinking, and you're, you're asked to do 
just crazy amounts of work for very little return in terms of, uh, of opportunities. It's, it's debilitating. Physically and mentally, it's debilitating. And he's not the type of player that alone can get the ball and create something out of no- nothing. He's going to work hard, and if he's getting service, everything's fine. But he's not going to get the ball, come back, turn, beat three players, get through, and, and create something all on his own. That just That's not who Bobby Wood is. And as you mentioned, I don't think he will have piqued anybody's interest when it comes to other Bundesliga teams. They might they might look at it and see a bigger picture and say, ah, but if I put him in a situation where he is getting opportunities, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. So I do think that there's going to be opportunities when it comes to possibly coming to MLS. And I think a lot of MLS teams would look at him because of the parity that exists in MLS. It's not a situation where he's going from a Hamburg to a Hamburg that they would look at it as a, as a good signing. So uh, he's back with the national team. Uh, we'll see, we'll see how he does, but I just think that this was a situation where he had to take it, but from a goal scoring perspective and, and therefore how that, what he is now, he will have suffered from, uh, from this time. He might've learned some stuff, but it's, it's not good for him in terms of what his value is right now. And quick thought on the Paraguay roster. That game is March 27th, live on FS1. Bobby Wood's in there, but it's mostly young guys. Timothy Weah was yep. one of the headliners. Tyler Adams, McKinney, guys like that. So that that's the correct, that's the direction the U.S. should yes. be going right now? Yes, Play 100%. The kids. I, I, it shouldn't have taken this long. This should have happened in the last games. And I know the January games, you can't have uh, European players and all that kind of stuff. But I think Dave Sarikin and the United States Soccer Federation, when it comes to picking this team, has done what a lot of people want and expect, which is to kind of get a whole new group and core in there and have at it. All right, next up, at AC09, what are your thoughts on a Chivas-style MLS team only fielding U.S. national team players to help with the youth development, perhaps a Chivas USA? Uh, What he's alluding to there is Chivas, this club in Mexico that only plays Mexican players. So what if there was an equivalent in MLS, a club that decided to only play American homegrown players, that kind of thing? Okay, so we talked a little bit about this a a couple weeks ago on the pod where I said that I thought that there should be no restrictions when it came to ownership in MLS. If you wanted to field a team of all international players, go ahead and do that, which would also mean that you could field a team of all uh, domestic or American players or U.S. men's national team eligible players. How would it look? The, the, it's not the sad truth. It's just the truth. And the reality is there's a reason why MLS teams are signing international players, okay? It's not necessarily that they're better. In some cases, it, it, it is. That's what people want. You give your customer what they want. And whether it's fair or not, whether it's right or not, the perception is that an international player is better. Now, if you had a team of all domestic players, all American players, all U.S. men's national team eligible players, how much nationalistic type of fervor would there be in whatever market that you are that would translate into people actually buying tickets for that? Even if they were good, would people really grab onto it? Because what you're trying to do is get as many people into the tent as possible with your MLS or any product for that matter that you're, that you're selling right now. So while I would love to see the experiment and see what it looked like, I think from a business perspective, it wouldn't translate, and therefore you would have you would have problems. Take away the fact that I don't even know if it's legal, but but uh, but if if you could figure out a way to do it, 
I'm not sure that people would buy it. And when I say buy it, actually buy tickets to see it, regardless of how good you are. We'll end on this. At Peña Barca LA, do you think the EPL is the best league in Europe or are they overrated? So I get asked constantly, this is an evergreen question, what's the best league? And I tell people each and every time, the best league is the one that you love. I can no more tell you, Mossy, what the best league is than I can tell you what the best wine is, or the best food is, or the best looking person is, or the best art is, or the best music is. It's what, it's what moves you in terms of the best league. Now, when you say the EPL, is it the most popular league in the world? Yeah, probably, in terms of eyeballs, uh, and in terms of international affiliation, supporters, all that kind of stuff. Is it the best league? I don't know. It depends what your definition of, of the best is. So at times, I know people look at the EPL, and what attracts them is the drama. Nobody does it better than the EPL in terms of the, the narrative, the drama, the theater, and the way that they churn it every single day. And yes, the fact that it is an English language-based league lends itself to being very, very popular right now. But as far as, is it the most skillful league? I think we can have arguments that it's not. Is it, but is it the best league? I have no idea what, what, what that means. If you like it, if you love it, then go ahead and like it and love it. And it's your best league because it's the one that you love. What's the best league for you in the world? Well, I have a definition for it. Okay, it's the league define. that performs the best in competitions where the leagues face each other, i.e. the Champions League and the Europa League. And listen, this stuff is cyclical. It's like conferences in college basketball and college football. And the bottom line is the last four or five years, La Liga's had the belt. They've performed the best in those competitions. And I know it drives Premier League fans crazy in this country. And eventually it's going to turn around in your favor. There were even some signs this season that that was going to be the case. I'm not so sure anymore. We'll see how things play out. But for now, I think you know, La Liga gets to keep the belt. And, you know, the Premier League fans just have to accept that. I know they don't like it, but it's the case. Well said. Mossy. You're wrong, but well said. Uh, okay, that's it for Ask Alexi. Thank you for uh, sending your questions. Continue to do so on all the different platforms with the hashtag Ask Alexi on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. And who knows, maybe David Mossy someday in the future will be reading your question right here on the State of the Union podcast. Moving on. Oh, I love this segment. World Cup Update. Yes, we are 87 days away from the little thing called the World Cup happening in Russia this summer. So we continue on with our World Cup update. What are we talking about today, Masi? We are talking about the Germany center forward debate and specifically whether Leipzig's Timo Werner should be leading the line this summer. Werner, as you know, a 22-year-old who's burst on the scene here in the last couple of years, excellent player, had 21 Bundesliga goals last season. Uh, numbers a little bit down this season, but was very good at the Confederations Cup, which we covered, had three goals and yep. two assists there. His competition, as far as traditional center forwards, uh, Mario Gomez, who's in great form for Stuttgart right now, and Sandro Wagner also playing very well for Bayern Munich. And then there's the going without a traditional center forward option, which I guess would be playing Thomas Muller up there. So those are all the ideas that I think Yogi Love is kicking around right now. How do you see this playing out? Stindl, right? He he got in there too. Also played well in the Confederations Cup. Yeah, Yeah, they have uh, friendlies coming up this month against Spain and Brazil, and the strikers in the squad are Werner, Gomez, Wagner, and Stindl. So how do you see this playing out? Man. All right, so the, the specter of Mirsav Klosa and, and what he meant to Germany, we, we understand, and they have yet to replicate that on a consistent basis. Not for lack of trying, but do you, 
I just they're they're who is closer yet? We don't we don't know. I think if they have their if they have their druthers, they do want to do that. I don't think that Germany wants to play a false knight, and I don't think with uh, uh, while I love Thomas Müller, it, it's it's not the same Thomas Müller anymore. So I'm not sure that they can do it. Look, I'm not crying for Germany. Germany's going to be fine. They could field three different teams and be competitive uh, at the World Cup this summer. But this is something to keep an eye on as we as we go forward. What is Yogi Lo going to do? Is he going to trust that one of these? Whether it's uh, whether it is Wagner, whether it is Werner, what is it? Whether it is Gomez, is going to not only play, but play in a way that's dare I say it more traditional for Germany and give them that structure that I think all teams want. I mean, the false nine is all is all fine and well, but I think it is ripe for for problems. Yes, it can confuse the opposition, but I think at times it can also confuse the team that's playing for it in that the, the lack of the lack of structure and the kind of free forming that that it uh, that it gives a team at times I think can 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 cause problems. Now, for Germany, they have a really good way of uh, of figuring out problems and at times we won't see it especially against inferior opposition, but Man, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say ultimately to the, to your question that yes, it is Werner. Uh, I agree. I'm a huge Timo Werner fan. I would uh, eliminate the Gomez and Wagner options if it's me. If you're gonna go with a center forward, to me, it has to be Werner. I much prefer the mobile guy that can run at defenders, create on his own, versus just the big lumbering target guy. The Muller option, why I don't discard it, is maybe he thinks because of Muller's incredible World Cup pedigree, 10 goals over the last two World Cups, he has to be in the lineup, but he doesn't want to play him in one of those positions behind the striker because they have so many options there, the Ozils, the Draxlers, the Royces, the Leroy Sanes, and so that's a compromise playing Muller up front, and Werner can be like an option off the bench. That's not crazy to me, but I love Timo Werner. I love everything about his game, so if it's me, I would play Timo Werner. I think they're a more explosive team with him in the lineup. Well, as, a, as our friend over in Atlanta, uh, Tata Martino, would say, these are champagne problems to have. And uh, there are probably 31 other teams that would love to have these types of problems that Yogi Lowe has. We're coming down the backstretch here. All right, next up. The back three. All right, it's time for our back three. Mossy, what are we looking at here? All right, let's start with the Champions League quarterfinal draw. Uh, we'll delve more into these when we get closer. I'm sure my Mossy makes the case those weeks will be about these games, but just initial thoughts. Let's get the two less compelling ties out of the way. I don't give Roma much of a chance against Barcelona. I know this is a different kind of Barcelona team that doesn't dominate games from start to finish anymore. They do it in spurts, but Messi in this kind of form, Dembele growing in confidence, how strong they are at the back now with Pique and Umtiti and Ter Stegen being an excellent goalkeeper. I, I give Roma virtually no chance here. Do you do you agree? I, I agree with you, Mossy. No no chance versus uh, versus Barcelona. I think that they 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 enjoyed that uh, uh, from a Barcelona standpoint. They said, "All right, good, we're good, we're good with this." <laughs> and then likewise for Sevilla against Bayern. I have a lot of admiration for Sevilla, but they're not that good this season. Them knocking out Manchester United had a lot more to do with Manchester United and Bayern the way they're playing I think no problem what do you think but this means that Bayern's not going to actually play anybody in Champions <laughs> League until they finally get to the the semifinal right i mean it's 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 been a great draw for them yeah. and that's why they've become this sleeper is because we haven't seen them play anybody substantial where we can say oh look out they're going to go through Sevilla it's not going to be a problem all right let's get to the two okay, big ones okay there we go uh, Juventus Real Madrid a rematch of last season's final 
Now, Juventus showed a lot of heart in getting through Tottenham, but they were outplayed for the majority of those 180 minutes. Did you see enough quality there to think they can beat a Real Madrid team, which is flying right now, and a Cristiano Ronaldo who is out of his mind? Four goals at the weekend, 21 in his last 11 games. I think heart only gets you so far. And for a Juventus team, yes, it was wonderful. It wasn't just heart. I think it was also experience and an understanding and a recognition of the moment by all the players that they were just going to shut this thing down which is all fine and well, but I think this is a bridge too far for Juventus because Hart is all, all fine and well, but but ultimately when you're coming up against a, an opponent that is better than you and I think that you realize is better than you as opposed to the previous, you know, I don't think that Juventus thought that their their opponents were better than them, even though they struggled. I didn't think that they, there wasn't that respect. I think that there's going to be respect and a recognition that they are playing somebody that is better than them. They can fight and grit and do all that all they want. But ultimately, I think talent will win out for Real Madrid. And two big problems for them. Pjanic suspended for yep. the first leg and Chiellini a major doubt. So they could be shorthanded in that first leg in Turin. And finally, an all-English clash, uh, Liverpool against Manchester City. Despite the fact that Liverpool fans are insufferably annoying right now. Twice in the past few days, Liverpool fans have twisted around my words on Twitter to try to create some narrative that I'm disrespecting Liverpool, which was not the case. I'm going to try to put that aside and be objective here. Uh, (laughs) I do think they have a definite chance to win this tie. This reminds me a little bit of 2004. The Arsenal Invincibles went out to Chelsea in the quarterfinals. I like the way Liverpool play against City. They're the one team that goes at them. Klopp has a good record uh, historically against Pep. And Mohamed Salah is out of his mind as well right now. So that that first leg at Anfield, the atmosphere is going to be electric. Uh, so I definitely give Liverpool a chance in this tie. What do you think? Okay, so number one, it's a well-known fact that you hate Liverpool. Okay, just let's make that clear for all of the Liverpool people out there. So I know you tried to soften it and all that kind of stuff. Well, we all know uh, your true feelings. Uh, number two, th- this is fascinating. This is, this is something I cannot wait to see because of what Manchester City is, uh, has been this year, Pep, this this would be a disaster for Manchester City if they went out to, to Liverpool. However, I think this is where the Mo Salah train stops and stops dead in its tracks. And that doesn't mean that he's not a brilliant player and won't be sought after, but I just think that Man City finds a way to not just shut him down, but to completely shut him down to the extent that everybody's looking around saying, whoa, what is, what is, what is going on? Where, where is Mo Salah? So I think, that's, that's, I think that's how this plays out. But man, oh man, this one, this one is delectable. Would you have rathered the English teams not face each other? Yeah, I suppose. I don't love when two teams from the same country face off, but I'm generally happy with these matchups because it creates a potential for a dream semifinal, which to me would be Barca, Bayern, Real Madrid, and probably Man City, but I wouldn't be that upset if it's Liverpool. Uh, So I think we're still on track for a fantastic semis and finals and all that. Okay, but but as far as predictions, then I think we're in agreement that it's the big four: Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Manchester Correct. City. If we had to put money, yeah. On it. Can I say one last thing about the Liverpool Man City tie? You have a microphone in front uh, of you, Moss. You can do whatever you want. It's going to be want. two Brazilian strikers on this plate: Jesus okay. and Firmino. Let me delve into this debate that FoxSoccer.com started this week. Here's the deal on that. Uh, I love Firmino. I've sung, sung his praises on this podcast. But if Jesus is healthy and in form, he's the better fit for the way Brazil play. With Liverpool, Firmino's playing with two pacey wingers and Salah and Mane who like making diagonal runs without the ball into the box. It makes sense to have that more playmaking center forward that's going to drop back, leave the space open in front of him, and slip balls underneath. With Brazil, those players are Neymar and Coutinho or Willian who are more playmaker types that want to pick up the ball and run at defenders with it. And so it makes sense 
actually to have a more traditional center forward that's going to make more incisive runs into the box and leave the space behind him open for those guys coming in. So it's a little bit of a different tactical deal. And as far as playing both of them together, Chichi did say in an interview recently he's open to it in certain situations, but not as a base formation. And I agree with him. I think that would affect Neymar a little bit in terms of how much room he would have to operate. And that's not a direction I want to go down. So Firmino for you is odd man out. Odd man out. That's it. Unfortunately. Whew, because what a player he is, huh? Eh, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what else? Next, uh, let's, from the UCL, uh, let's go to the CCL. Oh, yes. Uh, the semifinals are set there. Coming at and you. we have two MLS versus Mexico. Uh, it's uh, Toronto FC against America, and then the Red Bulls against Chivas. Uh, what do you think here? Is this finally the year, the breakthrough? <sighs> I think we may have come out a little hot. <laughs> I, I, I worry. It's wonderful in terms of what the Red Bulls have done, and Red Bulls in particular, you know, 5-1 over, over Tijuana. Uh, that was wonderful. And, and TFC, in the way we talk about grinding out results, that they found a way to, to, to grind out results. And I think both of the teams in very different ways have, have gone about it, and yet they find themselves in this moment. It, it it's not as if well first off in the previous incarnation of this tournament MLS teams have won both LA Galaxy and uh, DC United have won then it changed in terms of the format and since then an MLS team has not won however MLS teams have been to the final so going to the final is is not an accomplishment it's happened before going to the final while beating uh, Mexican teams that's that's important because that at least signals that what everyone in general agrees are the biggest competition when it comes to not just this tournament, but this compare and contrast between League MX and, and Major League Soccer, that you have to get through them. Now, there's this feeling, and I, and I get it, that in order for MLS to progress and to take that next step, they have to have this feather in their cap. Just as I say, the United States winning a World Cup doesn't automatically overnight change everything. A MLS team winning CONCACAF Champions League doesn't automatically make MLS the greatest league in the world. Having said that, it's nice to have it. It's a great touchstone so that nobody can throw it back in your face that, that, the, that it doesn't happen. When I look at this right now, look, if I had to, if I had to predict what's going to happen, hmm, let's go. I'm going to say, I'm going to go crazy and say that... Both MLS teams advance. But a Mexican team wins it somehow. <laughs> Maybe that's my heart talking over my head. But it wouldn't surprise me or anybody out there if it's an all-Mexico final, which is you know a Clasico in and of itself. And I'm certain that uh, Liga MX fans and, and Liga MX itself would love to have that type of final. But it's, it's good to be here. And it, and it says a lot about how far Major League Soccer has come, and in particular these two teams in the way that they've gone about it. And incidentally, MLS and Liga MX have announced this uh, Campeones Cup, which is going to be in Mexico. There's a game every year between the winner of the Apertura and the Clausura. And that team is declared like the champion for the season in Mexico. So that team is going to face the MLS Cup winner in a one-off game hosted by the MLS team. Kind of a super cupish type of thing. So that's fun. We have one more game to have those leagues go against each other. Yes, and we will. And then what will happen is on both sides, people will take something out of it. If, if uh, MLS team wins, well, MLS is great, and uh, they, they, uh, they're better than Liga MX. And the other side, well, no. Or we weren't taking it seriously. Or there's nothing on the line. So it's... It's great in concept. There's not going to be necessarily anything on the line. And you never know how seriously both of these teams are going to take this one game. I don't know. Put 
put ridiculous amounts of money on the line and then see how uh, the players react. That's the only real incentive for a one-off game like this that you can do that makes it real. Otherwise, people are going to say, well, it wasn't a real game. It wasn't in season. Nobody really cared. We didn't use all our players, blah, 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 blah. So I'll watch it, but it's not going to change my life or your life. All right. We'll end on this. Grant Wall, who is a senior sports illustrator, writer, Fox Sports contributor, he reported on one of our shows last week, Unai Emery is gone at PSG and Antonio Conte is going to go to PSG. Interesting. What do you make of that? Well, that that he's going shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, I mean, just the way that he talks, I don't think that he ever has settled in. I think he's been at times very good for Chelsea and for the league, but I, I, it, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Now, what, what does he do when he gets to, to PSG? Well, I mean, he'll have more money. He certainly ha- will have incredible talent. Once again, Ligue 1, nobody cares <laughs> because that should just be a given. Automatically, you, you win that, but nobody's going to pat you on the back for, for, for winning it. And it's all going to be, can you get over that, that Champions League hunt? That's the odd thing for me. Conte doesn't have great Champions League pedigree as a manager. It's been three seasons, group stage once, quarterfinal another season, and round of 16 another season. So for a club that's obsessed with winning that competition, they could have perhaps found somebody that has actually okay, won it okay, before. Okay, so let's say that everybody was available, or and it was it came down to for you because you don't think he's special anymore. Mourinho or Conte, who would you rather have coaching PSG in the 2018-19 season? I think I'd rather have Mourinho. Really? Then Conte? Yes. How can you just, you spent the whole segment telling me he's not special anymore and he hasn't won anything in eight years and he's lost his touch and he doesn't know the modern game and all that kind of stuff, but now you want him to go coach PSG? Well, we'll edit that whole segment out uh, (laughs) so I don't contradict myself. But let me say this, by the way, our producer, Alex Dowd, who cobbled together this rundown despite partying in Vegas all weekend, wants me to talk about Neymar and whether Conte going there would push Neymar to Real Madrid. I am so sick of talking about Neymar right now. I find this whole Real Madrid thing very annoying. Neymar needs to go away for a little while. I'll see you at the World Cup. He is away for a little while. It's not like he's talking. Yeah, but he's not putting down the rumors either. He's letting them fester because it's what keeps him relevant. He needs to be quiet, stop insulting handicapped people on Instagram, and just just go away for the next couple of months. And like I said, I'll talk to you again at the World Cup. I I don't want to hear about Neymar right now and what club he's going to be playing for next season. I'm actually not that interested in it, to be honest. Would you rather talk about Barcelona? Because our other producer back there, Francis Silva back there, loves to talk about Barcelona. I want to make sure that we we equally uh, delve into uh, what they love to talk about. Would you rather talk about that than Neymar? By the way, Alex is a Chelsea fan, Francis Barcelona. It got very heated, I heard, uh, during that Champions League tie. They, they're not ugly. even on speaking terms anymore because of it. But it doesn't matter from Francis' perspective. She doesn't care because she went through. Yep. We've come to the end of our podcast today. And as always, at the end of our podcast, I give you my one big thing from today's podcast. And that would be this. We talked earlier about diving in the game. Diving has been around since the beginning of the game. And guess what? It's going to be around for a lot longer. As I said in my State of the Union, if it's cheating, then it's all cheating. And when we look at the game, one of the things that I love about the game is that different countries and different cultures and different people interpret and see the game in a different way. And so what you might consider something horrible, another person might consider not a problem. And that's what makes the game beautiful in my mind. And so at least you don't have to always agree, but you at least have to respect and understand that that exists. And this game that we're playing all over the world, and it's the same game, but we're playing it in different ways and we're looking at it in different ways. And that is going to be a huge focus this summer come the World Cup. 
because the world is going to get together for the biggest party in the world, celebrating this game that we all think about and play in different ways. And there are going to be people, maybe in the way that we saw last World Cup, like an Aryan Robin, who for the Netherlands dove against our friends from Mexico. And he was criticized and roundly criticized and called a cheater. Now, this summer, we have video review. The VAR is going to be involved. How are they going to interpret, quote unquote, cheaters of the game that are diving? I cannot wait to see because this is not going away. But as I said before, there are no angels, only sinners in the game. And there are no angels, only sinners in this studio. I thank you so much, Mr. Mossy. Anything to say before we go? I hate to end on this note, but I agree with you. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook with the Ask Alexi hashtag. You can find David Mossy on Twitter where? At Statman Mossy. And you can find me on Twitter at Alexi Lawless. Let us know what you're thinking, whether you agree or disagree. We'd love to hear from you, and we will see you again next week on the State of the Union podcast. As always, size the day.